0: You have tuned into Her Perspective of a True Man with your girl Cotton here, and I am sitting with my nephew, Anton, and we are going to have real talk with about real life for a, a real man. Anton is a law enforcement officer, and he is um, definitely in the middle of the thickness of this current climate with our um, police department and the racial intention that's going on so anton thank you for joining your aunt and being on the um, talk show and just you know we're just going to get down to the real nitty-gritty of how things are happening right now um how do you feel because i know you are a husband you're a father you're officer so you have a lot of responsibility and i know it can be stressful at times and weigh heavy on you um, because you're having to think about how to protect everybody, even the people that act out. You still have to protect them because you've been called to do that. Yes, ma'am. First, let me thank you for having me on. Um, this current
1: day of climate is pretty tough for us as African-American officers as well as, uh, in the community having to make a decision or being placed in a position of our race and our career um it is pretty tough sometimes because we took an oath to uphold the law but we also have a position of being african-american in society and so sometimes toying those lines makes it hard to see or perceive where you want to go Um, as a husband a father a man in this world you have to remember your position first and that you are African-American, you are a man, a husband, a father before you're a police officer. That's an oath you took and you have a decision every day you get dressed on how that will impact your daily flow and daily movement of life. Um, As far as being a father, it's a little tough having two African-American boys. I try to speak to them and I try to teach them and instill in them their value in life and their importance of who they are and that they are not Uh, formed by the world or who people say they are, but who they make themselves to be. Um, And so I just try to, you know, be real with them and let them know that racism does still exist, but in the flip, when you're encountering individuals as humans, you have to give them respect regardless of their race, their color, their creed, their origin, um, their profession. They're still a human before they're African-American or Hispanic or white or asian they're human so address them accordingly be respectful you know i teach them the basics make eye contact use an appropriate language um you know yes ma'am no ma'am yes sir no sir just because i feel as an officer um, that you know respect is given when respect is earned and a lot of times people forget that we're humans and that we respond according to how we're spoken to or how we're dealt with as well. And that setting aside the badge, I tell people all the time, my favorite line when I'm training guys is that I make the badge a gun, the gun a badge doesn't make me, meaning that um, just because I have this badge doesn't change the person that I am and how I interact and how I deal with people. I have to set the image behind the badge when dealing with the community. So, people have to understand that we aren't the badge. You know, we are individuals who decided on a career to 98% of us make an impact in a positive direction, not a a negative direction. So, you know, being a a father again, I just try to, especially my boys, I just try to make sure they understand that it all starts with mutual respect, regardless of who the individual is. So,
0: when you were growing up, and you know, I know your parents are still married, um, seeing your father as an African-American young, young man, what were some of the things that he had you know, instilled in you that has helped you um, be the father that you have, are, as well as, you know, I know you do a lot when it comes to um, dealing with the community and how you handle people that are in unfavorable situations and you know still trying to be positive and and speak life to them even though they're in a a compromised situation so what are some of the things that your dad taught you or what did you see with him growing up that has kind of yielded to who you are as a man right now
1: um my dad taught me love he taught me dedication loyalty hard work Um, not that all was right, uh, i just be honest, but a lot of what he taught me, what he knew. Um, he taught me what he was taught. And today I just build on that and try to make it better for my kids. Um, my dad taught me about respect, respecting people for who they are. And again, I, I say, respect will get you everywhere. Um, if you give a person just mutual respect that they're earned or that they deserve, then they will respect you back, and they will, they, you know, maintain an environment of peace. Um, but my dad really taught me how to be a hard worker. Um, he really taught me how to be a provider and set a foundation for my family. Um, and just it, racism has been around, but I don't. When I was younger, it wasn't something I was really taught to look out for. Um, you know, obviously growing up in Prince George's County you know, it's a highly African American populated community where you don't really see it as blatantly as you do now for some reason. Um it's just I guess it comes with the video footage and, you know, people being more observant and vigilant to what it is that's taking place or taking place around them. Um so I really wasn't taught much about racism. Um I my grandfather is Irish, uh and so it just As far as him teaching me about being a man, it was more about my responsibilities as a man. Not much uh, historical insight on what to prepare for in society. So, even though I'm, you know, of age of 37 currently, this is some of the stuff is new to me. I knew racism existed, but I never imagined racism existing within our law enforcement community. Yeah, it's pretty tough to know that I could be working side by side with someone who is a racist, but they put on a front to just give an image that they're not and that's because we were always taught and raised as kids to trust the police and believe in the police so when we now hear that the ones we entrust are the ones that that don't like us how do we entrust put yeah. trust into those individuals
0: so how's the um i don't want to say well it, it may or may not be but how um Working in law enforcement, how has um, relations been, you know, relationships and been within the law enforcement, you know, to be alongside of your fellow brother or sister that may have racial issues? Um, But, you know, like you said, you could be working with someone that has a racial issue and you don't know it because you're everybody's carrying the badge and have the gun and the uniform. Um, have you seen a change in how people have been, you know, dealing with each other in regards to, you know, with everything that's going on?
1: Um, I, I personally have just been more observant. Um, I think, unfortunately, there's always been a, a separation of law enforcement to start with, just based on how those individuals were raised. Um. Meaning we in this community, we have a lot of officers that are not from Prince George's County that are officers in Prince George's County. And so a lot of times you see the little clicks that take place and you you were under the impression it was more, oh, because they're from this particular area or that particular area. But with the uh, growth of racism being put in the forefront, you start to wonder now more. Is it because of all these African American officers on this side having a chit chat? These are Caucasian officers over here. It's, it's not as they try, uh, or we as officers try to co-mingle as much as possible because we have to work together, but you do see the lines of separation. Um, and it's not uh, not easy, I guess, but at the end of the day, you still have to work with those guys. But I am one of those ones that will point it out, maybe not in an aspect of I blatantly see your racism, but in a way that you're aware that I noticed that the way that you are responding or the way that you're acting is an indication that there's some dislike or distrust for the individual you may be encountering. And that, again, as I said earlier, everyone is human, whether you have committed a crime or not, you don't know that person's reasoning or position um, behind what it is that made them do what it is they did. And they still deserve respect and, and the aspect of life.
0: Yeah, that's and that's so important. I think when we um if we humanize the situation more than we're thinking about the color, then it would make a different bring light differently to the whole situation. Cause right now, you know, everything is based off of the color, off the color, off the color. Correct. And sometimes I wonder, you know, for those that um, are, you know, have caused, have been, have victimized, you know, um, whether it was a a young man or a young woman of color, sometimes what is it in their life that they have gone through or what is it that they've been told um, about, you know, people of color? And the other piece that I and I said this the other day, I said, you know, yes, it is not great that things are happening the way they're happening, but also it is not great because I need us to say, Black lives matter in our community when we're victimizing each other. Yeah, exactly, I agree. I think that's my biggest thing. You know, we're, we're yelling about the police, and because the police is a, a white officer or whatever the nationality is of the person, but we don't we don't say Black Lives Matter in the community when we do things to one another. I
1: totally agree.
0: So that's something that I kind of feel like when people treat us the way we treat each other. That's right. You know, so if they think you. Treating each other like savages, and that's how you're gonna do. And you're popping off with your people and your community. When I come into your community and I'm trying to bring some peace or trying to correct something, you start popping off at me. Guess what? Then I'm gonna respond and act the way you all respond and act to each other. Sure. And I know a lot of people be like, Well, that's not, I understand it segregation is segregation. But when we're talking about racism, we have racism amongst one another. Uh, (laughs) It's it's not even anything to say to to debate. We have racism amongst one another, you know? So how do you, you know, how do you see, um, how can we fix that? Like, what is it that we can do, really starting in the community, um, to start loving one another and to really stop Putting so much pressure on a person, or trying to take advantage inside the community, because you know there's people you can hear on the news where somebody's robbed, 85 year old lady, snatched a purse, hit her on the head, you know, and she's fighting for her life, you know, or just do some crazy stuff to other people, you know, and then they want the it's like they want the community to be okay with it, but then we say black lives matter. So when are we
1: going to have black lives matter in our community? Totally, and I, I agree. I say that all the time, that we have to, if if black lives matter, as you say, we have to make that a wholehearted statement, whether it's, you know, inner community crime, we have to take back our communities and patrol our own communities. Um, you know, it's kind of funny as an officer that We'll go around in the community, we'll patrol the community, we'll tell the young kids, hey don't hang out, you know, this is not a good spot to hang out, or it's late, you need to go in the house, you know, why are you out here at 12? I mean, I've had calls where about two months ago I had a 13 or 15 year old kid shot, because they were outside gambling, 1030 at night their mom runs across the street crying for her son, why wasn't he in the house at that time, and so we have to be more responsible. You know, I'm not that old, but, you know, back in the day, they say when all the neighbors in the community were, were the parents, it wasn't, you know, don't say anything to my child, don't do this, don't do that. So we have to take back our communities. And, you know, you see the post on Facebook all the time that says, you know, the police don't have to deal with you if you weren't doing something illegal or against the law. So if you police your own community and keep your own community on the up and up, And we don't have to come around. Trust me, it's a lot of times we don't want to get out of the car in 95-degree weather or torrential downpours to have to handle something that you as an adult can handle. Um, But as a man, I believe, it's always been my belief, that a lot of times these situations occur because there's no male-dominant direction in the household. And without any, you know, a mom is always gonna be a mom, but a mom is a very caring, loving and passive person who tries to fill the void of a dad, but can never fill the void of a dad. And I feel like a lot of times our youth are being distracted by the fact that there is no dad and then the individuals in the community that are of age to be impactful are doing the same nonsense or teaching them the nonsense of what, it is to be for the perception of a man yeah um and unfortunately our young boys are being misled uh and misdirected. and then when you have officers or just men in in a hole that want to make an impact it may not be in a career like myself that is uh visualizes something productive or visualizes something of someone that cares you don't get the opportunity when I took this job or career back 10 years ago, my ultimate goal, and I prayed to God to put me in law enforcement, was to make an impact in the community and change the perception of law enforcement with citizens. That is not working out too well. <laughs> and I just say that because of the one or two bad apples that have caused this community, caused the community to see us in a different light. Um, we, it's hard to hold conversations. It's hard to you know, to say hello. I mean, you say hello to some people, they look at you like you're foreign and they, not, they don't understand what you're saying. And they don't want to interact with you. And it's, well, I can't talk to the police of fear of being killed. I can't talk to the police because I'll be seen as a snitch. And they're more concerned about their image and perception within their community rather than trying to assist in making a difference so that those things won't be labeled on individuals consistently. Right. Um, so I just think we need to have more positive Black men strong black men that are going to impact our youth in a different way. And moms that are willing to say, you know what, dad's a deadbeat, but I need some guidance. Can you help me and not try to do it all on their own? Um, Would be of substantial uh, assistance, I guess, in making a difference in the community.
0: So is there like a program or is there anything for mothers that have um, male children? That need to have some male guidance, you know that they can call and get assistance, or you know like a buddy program that they can call and get assistance for the child, because I think it's important I know that me having two boys i I had a village you know of strong men you know from every from every angle when it came to professional sports entertainment um people that were entrepreneurs, you know, um, from every facet of life. I had somebody that was a male that could speak life into the boys and to give them guidance and help them understand what it is to be a man. Cause I'm not a man, you know? So that's when, you know, you gotta use what's in your toolbox your right. right. and resources. And, and so I made sure that that's what I did. I, I contacted and, you know, let the men know that, hey, I need you to impact, you know, have those conversations. Like if I'm calling you pissed off because they did something and I'm calling you, I'm calling you, so I need you to have those words with them so I don't lay hands. Right, 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 <laughs> so, right. you know, is there some type of resources that, you know, mothers can use um, to get help, you know, and not just the boys, because the girls are off the
1: chain too. That's a whole nother deal. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. Um, but I think the, Key point that you made was that you reached out as a single mom to those that could assist you. And it's been, you know, the saying, closed mouths don't get fed. If you don't ask or you don't let it be known that, hey, I'm here as a single mom and I'm struggling or I need some assistance, right. it'll, it'll never happen. I mean, there are a lot of organizations I'm not too educated on those. I mean, there's a, you know, a group called Top Teens of America. You have the 101 Black Men's Coalition um if your child is interested in being in law enforcement you have uh, cadet programs of sort uh some are paid some are not paid um so there's a lot of avenues but again those avenues can't be reached if you're if the if if the individual is not making the need uh known Mm -hmm. to individuals um so there are a lot but i'm not really informed uh, um
0: Places. So right now, what um, what has your experience in, your experience been as a father? Um, what does it feel like to be a father right now in in this climate that we're in?
1: Um, being a father right now is kind of tough because of how you address the issues of the climate that we're currently in. Um, You know my first mindset is just just to remove my boys from the area just remove them from any type of contact you know keep them sheltered um to make sure that i'm able to protect them but at the end of the day i know that's probably not the best method um keeping them sheltered will make them uh, oblivious to what life is about and not give them the exposure that's needed um, to learn and to understand what's taking place so it's a, it's kind of tough, uh, mentally it's a strain sometimes, trying to figure out how to balance the two of allowing them the opportunity to see life, but keeping them protected right. from what they have to encounter. And understand that I won't always be there, I can't always protect them. Um, the current you know, environment that we live in, I live in a predominantly Caucasian community. Um, and luckily, uh, it sounds crazy, my kids haven't been, been, been exposed to some racial statements or some racial uh, condescending communication, uh, is what I call it. But they handled themselves well. They understood that the individuals that say it are kids and they're only saying what they've been taught by an adult. And I explained to them that you have to show difference and shift their mindset. Unfortunately, you shouldn't have to do that because of what, but that's what they're being taught and that's what they know. Um, but my kids, you know, didn't fly off the deep end they weren't ready to fight and hoop and holler because right. they just addressed the topic and told the people <laughs> it was kind of weird not weird but kind of interesting they told him well, i'm just gonna pray for you because i understand you just don't understand mm-hmm. um and it, it went off it went well um so it's it, it's a balance of that for me uh, unfortunately uh, having to expose them to certain things but keep them protected and understand that i'm not always going to be able to do that
0: right i think that's the best that is a good point you know you're trying to keep them um, from certain things but you know you're not always going to be able to do it so that does mean that you have to raise them in a way in a manner where they truly begin to understand who they are as young men you know and that the color of their skin will speak intimidation, you know, to others. It may make other people feel uncomfortable at times, yeah. um, but no matter what it does, that they are still who they are. Yeah, so and that's, a, that's very huge and very important. Um, how has it been with you? Um, because it comes. With, there's a lot of stress that comes with this responsibility. So, how have you been dealing with your stress um, just getting through all of this?
1: Um, I can honestly say, I don't know if I have really. I've been kind of keeping myself uh, locked in, uh, meaning, you know, working and just trying to spend time with the kids, not really focusing on that. I will say about two months ago, I did start a program or a uh, Facebook group, I should say called Freedom 100, and I started it because of COVID-19 that was taking place, and the stress of the job that that we're dealing with. And in law enforcement, 100 means mental illness in Prince George's County. And so the group is Freedom 100, meaning freedom from mental illness. Um, And I'm just trying to bring different first responders and nurses and doctors together within the community that can help each other and support each other during this time um we know that first responders has a high uh, has a high divorce rate suicide rate uh, and just they don't have any resources to go to when needed when they're dealing with stress so one of the things i you know came up with was the idea of us coming together and kind of using each other as assistance so i haven't really taken the time to sit down with the counselor or doing those things i just kind of keep myself busy um try to find hobbies try to do things that will keep me from actually thinking about the stress because if i continue to think about it it will continue to tear me down inside mentally and physically and emotionally Um, i know those things need to be addressed um, but as you know, sometimes it's tough for us as officers or individuals in law enforcement, especially because when you start seeking or saying you need to speak with the individuals regarding the stress and strain, it starts to become, oh, is he mentally stable? Is he able to carry a firearm? Is he-? And so now you start risking the, yeah. the, the propensity of losing your job or being put on desk duty or, you know, all these things until you have a mental evaluation and, you know, going through this process. So sometimes we just, as they say, just try to eat it and keep it going so that we won't lose the the career uh, and the ability to take care of our families. Um, But for me, again, I just try to stay busy, um, you know, stay on the go um, and spending, I've been working on spending more time with the kids and the family and, just kind of focus, redirected my focus from the okay. stress of the job.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I think a lot of people. Now that you say that, a lot of people are probably keeping their head down and keeping it pushing and trying to do something to relieve themselves of the stress. Because as you said, then you they start labeling you on your job. You know that you need to be mentally evaluated, to take you through all of this, and for people that love that being an officer was their career path. Like right. they love being an officer, but at the same time, you know, they may need help, Correct. you know, and will not do what they need to do because of the stigma that it may have, right. you right. know, and um, it could put their job in jeopardy for some people.
1: Right. And then this is where you get the, I feel, due to the inability to obtain those resources that are needed for counseling and, and mental uh, health it's then when you get the responses that we get amongst law enforcement within the community because it's so much bottled up energy, it's so much bottled up emotions that it's that one time that you just explode and people don't understand what it is that we deal with right? Uh, you know, on a daily basis. I say it's one of the only professions that you wear a multitude of hats. Mm-hmm. Um, marriage counselor, accident reconstructionist, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's just a ton of things you do and people don't understand and you're bouncing from call to call, dealing with different things and you're all expecting the same response and not knowing what we just dealt with. Right. And because we can't get that mental assistance or we can't get the psychological work that we or help that we may need just to process what it is, that bottled up energy that explodes on that one call or that one situation and then it turns into where we are today. Uh, in regards to the negative view of law enforcement amongst the community. So, with, with the union, you guys have a
0: union. So, with them, how do they look at those things? You know, because I would, I would think if there's a call and someone has an incident, and not, not anything to do with just um, African American people, but just end up having a tragedy that they're experiencing and they've never had one. Right. You know what are the, some of the things that the union may be doing or, or should be doing to assist? You know, but I think it's a fear of when you know that you're being watched or someone is saying you have to do certain things, that the fear of losing your job and, and not having the job or having the job and not having the same position
2: um, can cause you to to justify you know, your thoughts, why you shouldn't do it. Like, you know, just thinking about the guy
0: with Floyd. Um, He has 17, you know, recommendations and reprimand being reprimanded 17, 17 times. And somebody didn't think, hey, what's going on? Because I strongly feel that there's something after that first incident, whatever triggered that first one and not handling it has allowed him for 17 times reprimanded right. so you know how does the, how does your union deal with with
1: all of that i mean normally the only time we would seek a psychological is after a departmental shooting once you're involved in. Um, but normally just tragedies, tragedy say a, a shooting or a car accident with a person decapitated or so we don't you just you handle that call and you go to the next there's really no debriefing there's no Um, communication about it. Hey, what happened? What did you see? You write a report and you go on to the domestic. You know, one thing, the difference, and I don't know, I was a volunteer firefighter for years and I do know with the fire department when I was there, if you had a critical incident, you had a house fire with a dead person or something, they had a departmental debriefing and, and the opportunity to seek counsel. And the police department, that I'm aware of never seen it, doesn't happen. Wow, you just transition from one call to another. You can transition from a car accident with a decapitated head right to the somebody used my identity for fraud, and then you go from that to a domestic where a lady's been beat up and stabbed. By her. It's just you just continue to go through the process. So
0: yeah, so you got PTSD on the job
1: all day, all day. That's yeah. wow. But then if you go, you risk it. For the, just risk the what comes with it <laughs> whether again that could be death duty that could be okay go see somebody that could be oh now you gotta have mental evaluations every you know 60 days or whatever the department finds necessary if, if you're an officer that they don't like or they're trying to get rid of it will make it very difficult for you wow. and so um like i don't know the 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 death of this individual george floyd His 17. i don't know if they were just complaints if they were substantiated um, or what, what came from that, but I do agree that if you see an officer who has a consistency of use of force that are, you know, exception, exceptional, uh, that there should be some form of, or in most agencies, there are some form of counseling sessions that take place with the command staff and, uh, you know, processes put in place to make sure that you try to, you know, minimize the use of force, but on the other part, it depends on what area you work in. It depends right. on what community you're dealing with. It depends on, you know, many factors, you know, when people see on 17 complaints, how many of those were substantiated? How many of those right. were legit uses of force where I had to use use of force um, in order to uh, make an arrest, or complaint, anyone can make a complaint. That's the crazy part about right. it, you know right wrong or indifferent on that individual's part. They can go to jail and do, you know, 10 years in prison and still file a complaint that was found guilty of the crime they committed. So, you know, but these departments don't offer much when it comes to counseling and with those things. So it's tough, it's very tough.
0: So um, as an officer and one uh, officer of color, Any of your counterparts that are of color, have they had or have you seen or have there been any discipline, you know, for excessive use of force toward, you know, anyone? Because that's the one thing we don't, you know, we get, again, like I say, we always talking about, we're, we're talking about Black Lives Matter, but to me, until we, it matters to the community and we stop laying hands on each other and stop treating each other a certain kind of way we can't fix this and even though reform for the police department all over the world is what people are doing and you know some things yes it has to be done but we still at the end of the day have to take some type of ownership for what we've created sure. these mindsets didn't just wait in one day right. and say this is the way we're gonna be okay. sure. you know they were created somehow um, by way of where they were brought up, you know, the people that were around, if there's certain conversations that are being had, you know in order for them to still feel comfortable about who they are, but you don't have to conform to the things that are going on sure. but for you know for the officers of color, or you know are you guys feeling um, pressure or you know if an officer of color was if she was on the other foot because the one guy that's in Georgia that's with these four guys, he looked like he's of African descent. Correct. Sure. So um how has that played
1: out? Um so you were referenced, you referenced in Minneapolis the mm-hmm. guy. The funny part about that guy is he was only on the job for four days. I know. And the officer that is being charged was his field training officer. But to backtrack, I, I don't in my department uh excessive use of force are very low if any um i just did some stats not too long ago i had to send up a report through the state of Maryland, and we had no use excessive use of force it's unfortunate because we have unfortunately had to take a position of backing away and or being very cautious and cognizant of what it is that we're doing and second guessing what we're doing and so we have either taken a position of we're going to do the very bare minimum, just enough to know that we're here, Um, or we're just in a position of not doing anything. Um, And it puts us in a position of safety for officers because we have to second guess what you're doing as a law enforcement officer, having to make a split-second decision. It can cost you your life or someone else's life. And I tell my guys all the time, do what you were trained to do and we'll deal with, the, deal with it after that. Right. Don't second guess yourself and risk getting killed. Don't uh-huh. second guess yourself and risk getting a citizen killed or, you know, putting yourself in a tricky situation. That's what attorneys, judges, you know, are for in order to get you through that process. As long as you do what you were trained to do in an appropriate manner uh, without going above and beyond, you'll be fine. Um, so, again, my, the use of force in my department or excessive use of force, very low. Um, like I said, if any, I think we've had maybe one in the last two years. Okay. And nothing came from that.
0: Okay. So, i same, the guy that, you know, generally mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, on the job. Four days. Four days. And you walk into that. Correct. Uh, I, I, I can't even imagine what he's thinking or how he's feeling. Um to be put in that place and happen to, you know, do what somebody else is telling him to do and him not knowing really because that's, like you said, he's the person that's training him. Um, when you've had trainees, what are some of the things that you do to try to make sure that they stay safe, but also make sure they're not making mistakes that may cost them their badge?
1: I'm continually talking to them, communicating with them. I'm pointing out throughout the training process, because I have trained quite a few officers, their mistakes at that time. When they when we clear that call or we, you know, leave that scene, I literally sit, we'll pull over and we'll break down
0: from A to C everything that was done, whether they felt they did it right, if they could have done it a different way.
1: Okay. Um, and I let them know that whether they were right or wrong in that uh-huh. position instead of, and I would never put them in a position that I wouldn't want to be in. Prison is not for me. Right. I may lock people up, <laughs> but I'm not going <laughs> to prison. <laughs> I just can't be told what to do. <laughs> so he said, I may be locking I, you yeah, up, but uh, it is not my job. It's problem. not my place. I go in there for two hours, type of paperwork, and I got to go. So I never, I know they're watching me as a veteran officer, so I make sure that I do the best that I can to abide by the book. Um, mm-hmm. We all deviate, we all have flaws, we all make mistakes or make poor choices. But at the end of the day, my biggest word is articulation. As long as you can articulate what you did, why you did it, how you did it, and that you were trained to do it, and this is what happened the result of that, you're fine. Right. You're normally, you normally, know, 85, 90% of the time, you'll be, you'll be good to go. So I just make sure that when I'm training, I train my officers by what I know um, and what's right. And again, we may get into a scuffle, we may get into an all-out fistfight and a brawl with the suspect. But at the end of the day, your job is to apprehend, put handcuffs on, and make get them to wherever they need to go. Not to dehumanize them, not to kill them, and not to place them in a position that makes them feel less than. Right. Um, so just making sure that I show them the proper way to um, be a police officer okay. and have a longevity and... I always tell them your job when you come in here for twelve hours is to make it home by any means necessary. I'd rather, as they say, I'd rather be tried by twelve and carried by six. You know, right. your job is not to intentionally kill someone, but your job is to make it home at the end of the night by the training that you receive. Um in the academy, which is twenty six weeks, field training is another three to four months. Um, so you have plenty of training and we do annual training. So just making sure that I show them what I know the correct way mm-hmm. to keep them out of trouble. That's good. That's really
0: good stuff. You so said you'd rather be tried by 12 and not, and instead of being carried by, yeah, six, by six.
1: I'm going home. Yeah. And if I catch an excessive force because I had to go home, then I'll just flip burgers for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I'm going home. So
0: you will make it <laughs> home. There will not be a pit stop any place else. So how about, um, for the a lot of these you know the riots that's going on, what have you seen um out here in the middle of all of this? like what I know there's a lot of young people and young millennials, you know, and so it's the thing about um being muted, you know, feeling like that they need to have what they need to say, and it's true, we all need to be able to say what we need to say, but um my disheartening is the fact that they're destroying businesses in order to say what they want to say and not knowing that you're putting somebody else out of work. Sure. We're already in a crazy situation. Now you just, you know, have extended that for someone that was just about to go back to work. Because when all this stuff happened in D.C., People were literally going to work that weekend (laughs) they were going back and and part of phase one to go back to work and you know, the restaurants and different things, but, um, yeah, what are you seeing that's
1: going on out
0: here, um, in the streets when it comes to that?
1: Um, nonsense, Mm -hmm. there's a difference between protesting for your rights and protesting for what you believe in and looting, rioting and acting a complete fool. Um. I'm a wholehearted support of protesting for your rights in a peaceful manner, which means your constitutional rights gives you the ability to do so. Um, the problem is, I think, a lot of this nonsense of looting and burning buildings and uh, stealing flat screen TVs from Target is not proven <laughs> or showing anything in reference That's to this man's same death same or any African-American that has passed away at the hands of the police. So I think it's... a, a time of opportunity just to, as I say, cause a muck and just make a destruction. You're, I mean, a lot of these guys, a lot of these places, small businesses are black owned and you're burning these places down. There's been people on the news and older African-American men begging for them not to burn down their little corner stores and things they've worked so hard for and then beating these guys up. And it's, to me, it's just absolutely not. And it's not solving anything. And if I can be honest, It is playing into the perspective of how people see us as African-Americans and then they wonder why it's unfortunate that we get treated or we get uh, labeled, you know, animals or we get labeled as being aggressive or volatile or all these negative labels. But we give them the the perspective of that's who we are when you're trying to stand your ground on what you believe. Um, There have been many peaceful protests uh, that have went well. But a lot of times, and then on the flip to that, or adding to that, I should say, is, you know, some of these things that are occurring in the living aren't African-Americans. Right. Um, I don't know how much people have seen that. Like, they have video footage of Caucasians burning buildings down and then trying to say we African-Americans have done that. But again, because we have put ourselves in a position to allow them to throw that on us, because we are out here doing some yeah. of this nonsense. Um and it's interesting because they've been doing it for the last few years, Freddie Gray, you know, the riots mm-hmm. in Baltimore, um, Mr. Brown when he was killed. Uh, so it's been happening and there's been no change. So at what point are we as African Americans going to open up our eyes and see that we have to do something different to get a different right. response, you know? And, um so again, I just think it's absolute nonsense what's taking place with the looting and the riots and protest that I'm an old supporter.
0: Yeah, I, I do know that um, I was watching, I think I was on social media one day and these two young ladies were walking and they were videotaping these other two young ladies that were spray painting a building. And so the two ladies that were spray painting were not of African descent. So the two young ladies that were African-Americans said to the one girl, said, why are you doing that? Like, why are you in our community spray painting? She's like, because Black Lives Matter. She said, but this is not saying Black Lives Matter. This is saying that when you leave here, they're gonna look at it as if we did this to our community, not somebody came in and did it. She said, so you're not helping the situation when you're going around and you're moving and you're doing spray painting and putting all this stuff on the, this graffiti you're not doing anything you're making people feel that this is how we treat our community and this is not the way we do that and i think a lot of times people don't you know those that are looting taking for you know partaking in it not looking at
1: who's actually starting Starting the situation Right. You
0: know who actually started that whole situation? Who is the one that kicks it off first?
1: Right. To continue you know, to put a negative, yeah. negative image on us, African Americans, and and the more that they take down
2: our communities and take away from us, the the better some people feel because
0: then here we go, gentrification roll right up in there. Now you're displaced. You have no place to live. You know, there's not enough housing in the DMV for people that are homeless and don't have, you know, don't have, don't have the, don't have the, don't have the mean rent, you know, to have somewhere to keep a roof over their head. So now you have these old um, hotels that used to be a hotel are being used to house people. You have people just out here living on the streets with kids in cars
1: and the caucasians will come in and rebuild these communities and, read, and make them entirely defined. too expensive yes. for us to yes. you yes. know partake or live in uh, and,
0: and that's my whole thing you know watching that just thinking about once this is over what's going to happen
1: what's going to be the outcome of all
0: you right? know because
1: whoever had that
0: property now they no longer can afford it if they didn't own the building right. and had no insurance on it they're not going to be able to you know come back and rebuild that's Right you know it's, it's like over in baltimore when everything happened over there and they like lit the whole city
1: <laughs> it was lit over there abandoned exactly but they lit it up in
0: the community that they you know like they burned the cbs down all that stuff you know like yeah and and even you know with the guy the other night um in atlanta they lit the wendy's on
1: fire And it's a video. I was a Caucasian lady that did that. You know, which for what? What did Wendy's do to you to cause you to want to burn Wendy's?
0: Exactly.
1: So in your own community, you're doing stuff. Why are you doing that? And then you want to make it look like
0: we as African American people don't know how to take care of anything. We're selfish. We got attitudes. We got you know just not great people. Period but it is not us that is always igniting the fire for the stuff that we deal with, but it is us that gets sucked into it to believe that that's exactly what we are, who we are and how we're supposed to act. So that is just a very, um, that's that's very big. It really is. So my next question to you is, if you could speak to the, the young man um Or even go back to yourself as a teenager, knowing what you know now, the experience that you you've had um, not only you know being a young African American man, but being a man in this climate where racism is very prevalent, and especially when it's at your door um because you are an officer, what would you say to that young man or that young boy, you know um, that would need? to learn how to need some help navigating through this. Because it's one thing when you're in a household and you have your father and you have your mother and you can have that conversation and they can speak life into you and let you know that you're good. It's another thing when the conversation and dialogue is not happening because there's no man in the house to, um, to help them understand who they are, but to confirm and affirm them as young Black men or young Black women so that when stuff happens and if they happen to be the person that something may happen to, that they know how to handle the situation without being in a position where they're having to feel like they're being victimized. Because I do know there's some conversation you can have with people, whether they're or not and they get a clear understanding that you are definitely positive about who you are and what you stand for and therefore because you have the respect for yourself they will have the respect for you there's some people that just have a hard time and i can recall when i was growing up in, our, in high school in my last year of uh, high school um, i met a friend i was, i could have graduated my junior year but my Counselor said, Well, Rhonda, why don't you go ahead and take a trade so you can have something to fall back on? And I decided to do cosmetology. So one of my best friends ended up being this girl named Michelle Overson. Michelle was my best friend, you know, um, we did cosmetology together, you know, all of that. We became very close. But the one thing that um, she told me is that her dad was, you know, a little bit racist, you know. And so when she had asked her father, Well, you know, you're racist, you know, based off, I guess, whatever he's been saying. And his first comment was, I I work with black people. She said, well, that's not, you can still be racist and and work with black people. That don't mean anything. So, you know, she was um, telling her dad, you know, you don't socialize, like you don't have a relationship with those people that you work with outside of your work. And so when I, you know, we would talk on the phone or, you know, I, we'd be calling each other, and he would answer the phone. So I called him. Dad, I said, hey, Dad, what's going on? And so Michelle told me, she said, you know, Dad thinks that you're white. <laughs> I said, no, he don't. She said, yes, he does. He does not have a clue that you are, you know, that you're black. Sure. And so I was laughing. I said, that is crazy. She said, no, I'm serious. He thinks that, you, that you're that white. So one day I went over, it was my first time going over to her house, and I was picking her up and we were going to go do some stuff. And I can remember sitting in the kitchen and me, her mom and sisters, we were all sitting in the kitchen talking and laughing and everything. So her dad comes in. And when he comes in, you know, he he yells, you know, you know, basically saying he's home. Everybody's saying Hello. So I said, Hey, Dad, what's going on? So he picked up my voice. He knew who it was. And he was like, nothing baby. You're how you doing? So that whole time, you know, he's getting himself together, hanging up his coat or whatever. So when he finally comes in and me and him are like still talking while he's, you know, <laughs> heading toward the kitchen. And when he comes in and he sees me and I think that's when whatever he felt concerning people of color just dropped because here we had forged this relationship all this time that me and Ms me and Michelle were friends and you know, when I'm calling and talking to her and he answers the phone and me and him having conversation, like I would talk to my dad, I called him dad, you know, that's what I called a lot of my friends, fathers, m- mothers, and their fathers, you know, out of respect. And he just, he smiled and just, you know, gave me the biggest hug, you know, but it's like you, we have to get to a point, um, no matter what race we are, you know, because there's some Hispanics that can't stand us Black folks. (laughs) You may not be their manager. They have an attitude about that. You know, so we deal with this all the time, but I really believe that truly based on your exposure, how to handle, you know, segregation and situations and racism and, you know, people just being biased about whatever they believe, how you deal with people and how you teach them how to treat you will help them have to really treat themselves. Because a lot of times these people that are going through what they're going through don't even care for themselves.
1: All right, all right. You know? Cool. You said a lot there. Um and I wanna the last part I want to address first and then the other question. I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier about perspective of cultures and races and what you've been taught. And the fact that you built a relationship based on who you were as a person and the communication and the respect as we talked about earlier that was given I was, did nothing but had to force them to see African-Americans in a different way. I don't know what type of work he did or how he encountered them at work, but to see, okay, well, there is respectable, there is people that can communicate effectively. There are African-Americans that have positive, positiveness within them. I gave him, he had no choice. You, you like almost forced him to change his perspective on African-Americans. Um, But your original question, I think knowledge, if I can give it one word, having knowledge and having understanding and knowing your rights, knowing the law, knowing what people can and can't do, being informed, uh, being educated on life, being educated on your rights, especially dealing with law enforcement, being educated on um, just perspective of, of being a human will definitely assist, because a lot of times we build our our basis of individuals off of how they communicate with us, how they talk, how knowledgeable they are in the the topic in which we're talking, and whether we want to continue to maintain that open line of communication with them. So I think for young people, instead of reverting to the rap music and the smoking of the weed and only knowing the laws of what's illegal, I mean, I get young kids all the time, weed's legal. No, weed's not legal. But you know that, but you don't know that two plus two is four because you don't want to have to go to school. Fine. You know, so just educating yourself on what it is that is, you know, like for the summer, I have my kids doing the history paper. Every week they're doing a different That's topic of, about really African-American good. history because I did remove my kids from an environment of being around a lot of African-Americans because of the school system. Unfortunately, I feel it's better. Well, we all know that the Caucasian education is always um and my kids aren't, they have been exposed to the racism, but aren't aware of the history of the racism. Okay. So for the entire summer up until the middle of August, every week they all have an assignment in reference to, I gave them different topics that they have to go research and I need a two-page paper that they are understanding what it is that they're reading. Because that gives them the knowledge to understand that even though race, slavery may not technically still be around. I think slavery is that like when you punch someone's clock. And they tell you what time you go to lunch and what time you come in It's still a form of slavery uh, but those slavery may not be as prevalent now it still exists they have to be made aware of what it looks like and, and be you know i have an understanding of what they're facing so i mean again i just think making sure that your, your youth and your kids are are reading and, and i hate reading but at the end of the day you have to they say if you want an African-American
0: or a black man to be done, put it in a book. Mm-hmm. They're not going to read it. Well, and that's a good point when we talk about <laughs> slavery. No, slavery is not here in the manner, in the form that it was when our ancestors was here. But it is here in the form of the mind and how people think. Okay. I realize that there's still a lot of people of color, even educated. That are still enslaved in their mind they have yet to let that go because they spend so much time on what the white person says mm-hmm. and basically that if the white person doesn't say it then it's not, it's true. not true and that's when you are enslaving yourself because you are conforming to what the white man is telling to you to mindset. conform to instead of you taking and getting the knowledge and understanding for yourself and to be able to intellectually talk to the white person or whoever it right. is based on your information right. and that's what causes people to dumb down not stand up for what they know is right, right because they don't want to be ostracized they don't want to lose something for being right but they will stand in stand something from being and knowing it's wrong right. And so I have a real problem with that, you know. I ain't never been mad. If I lost my job because I was good and I was right, then that's a good way to lose my job.
1: And I can pity you that right now. I'm currently suspended from work because I stood up for what was right and I stood up for other officers and didn't allow things to transpire. But it's interesting you say that because – we tend to think because somebody can articulate their words correctly, that the information that they're being given is accurate.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I've worked with a couple of individuals like that, and I had to tell them, I, just because you say it, don't make it right. Right. Now, I may not know, but I'm going to go find out. We had this conversation the other day. Once I'm informed on what the topic is, that I mean, I'm not a politician, so I don't follow politics, so right. you can tell me anything, and if I don't go look for it for myself, then... I won't know if it's true or not. And I'm not going to just believe you because you sound good and you put the right words together and it flows out of your mouth. Like, you know what you're talking about, you know? So we, I agree that we can sometimes enslave ourselves because we don't, again, we don't want to go seek the knowledge or the understanding or the information to be able to say, hold on brother, hold on sister, you're wrong. That's not what that said. That's not correct. And so we just take what people say and we just, Face yeah. value.
0: And that's crazy because I've
1: had um, <laughs> people of color that when I tell them something
0: that's benefiting them and that's going to help them get to the next level, they're looking at me like I said something crazy. crazy like, that's that that's, that's, that's not right. That uh, No, Ms. Rhonda, this, that. No, Miss Cotton. This. Okay. But later on down the road, let a white colleague say the same thing I said. They gonna, They right. run back to me like they just heard, like they've gotten the best news of their life. Sure. And so then I'll stop and say, well, I just told you that a few months ago. Actually, you could be a lot further than you, you are now right. if you would have listened then. <laughs> but because of my skin color is not light enough, sure. then you think that what I'm telling you is wrong. I've been doing my job for years. Sure. I know what's going on. And the fact is, I don't let people just talk to me in any kind of way. Sure. You know, I'm not enslaved, sure. so I'm not walking around here like I got a slave mentality. Sorry. But that is one of the things that I think. You know, um, when we talk about being unmuted and talk about, you know, people saying what they want to say and, and trying to do what they want to do, a lot of that is the fact that mentally they have enslaved themselves to a thought. You know, um, a young man said, "Well, the white people, the white man got me down, or the white man this." I said, well, ain't no white man in my house. Uh-huh. I don't think a white
1: man waking up in your house either to tell you anything. The right, it's so self. the fact is this, if you take and you're still talking about something
0: that people used to say, back when segregation it was really, really hot and Martin Luther King and were rolling and doing what they had to do, that's back then. Right. Right. We're not back. Segregation is still around, but it ain't the way it was then, right. you know? So if you're still talking like that, that means whoever dropped that on you, you're still living a generational curse. You're still going through slave uh, enslaved mindset. And the crazy thing is the people that were slaves were so smart. They were very smart. Very knowledgeable. They were doing things that their owners couldn't do. They didn't have to have books. And that's why I try to tell people, Back then they didn't have books for us to read. Right. So how do you know how to build something if you ain't got a book? Right. How do you know how to do right. anything if nobody, nobody of Caucasian persuasion is teaching you how to do it? You got to get out there and you figure, you it, figure it out it for out. yourself. That's correct. You had a lot of people back then that were of African American descent that were mathematicians without the degree. Yep. Yep. You know? So how does that happen if we're supposed to be people that don't know
1: anything? anything? We know a lot more than we allow ourselves to express.
0: So you have to allow yourself and allow your mind and be uncomfortable in the process because you can never be who you desire to be or really who God has called you to be if you're putting limitations on yourself. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So... If you had an opportunity to do anything in life that would possibly change the trajectory of a lot of these young people that are going through um, life right now, what would you do um, to, you know, just to affect their life in a positive change? Wow.
1: Um, What would I do? I really have always wanted, and it sounds minor, but on a bigger scale, is a mentorship program for underprivileged youth. Um, And just bringing in young young individuals, specifically black men for me, um, and just having them have an understanding of who they are and valuing who they are in themselves, and that regardless of what someone may say or think about you, you are who you are, and you are what you make yourself to be. Um, I, I've always been wanting to be, I wouldn't say a public speaker, but just getting out in the community and being able to connect with our youth. Um, and again, I said it earlier, that was my vision when I went through the police academy, when I prayed to God to put me on the police department. I asked to be put on a department in the hood. I asked to be put on a department where I could impact my people. Um, communicate with my people. Right. But it's a little bit difficult because of the individuals officers that have become before me and the relationship that is not there trying to rebuild that. And it's quite ironic. I have a lot of guys that I do encounter who have been locked up, who have, who sell drugs, who do criminal activity, but when they see me, they give me the utmost respect. They, they say, man, you're the coolest guy. I don't even usually talk to the police, but I'll talk to you. You're down to earth. You know, so... If I could do anything, it would just be being in a position, which I think law enforcement is a position that will allow this to happen at some point, just communicating with our youth and talking to them. And again, getting them to understand who they are as a person, not what neighborhood they represent, what mistakes and bad choices they've made, whether their dad is there, whether their mom is there, who's not there. That you still have to form your own identity And your identity will drive you to be What God has called you to be
0: Wow, yeah, that's good
1: stuff That's good stuff Well, what I do know is this That this
0: is a time and a season Where things are changing God is um, granting the hearts of the people That have the ear to hear And the heart to receive You know, so that, you know Whatever it is that we're, we're looking to do That has nothing to do with us and having, you know, gained a lot, but just the heart for the people of God, he will open that door okay. and make that opportunity available to you. Um, some way it will, it will fall at your, at your doorstep right. and you'll be like, oh man, I didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen. Like I was thinking about it, but Lord, you just did it. You dropped it like that. So I'm going to be praying for that because it is it's much needed. It's very much so needed in our community. And I think that when, when kids see that it's not about, um, as the kids say, snitches get stitches and all that, it's not about that. It's about them growing up to be the men and women that they are supposed to be in order to. Receive whatever God has for them because there's no mistakes for anyone being born. Right. It is just that what we do during the time of our beginning and end that counts.
1: And understanding, I think a lot of times our youth has to have an understanding of their purpose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they felt like, oh, dad left, so I must not be worthy. Or Angry. mom <laughs> is, you know, on drugs and left me with grandma, so I must just be an abandoned child. And not understanding, like you said, that there's no child born that is doesn't have a purpose right there's no one on earth that doesn't have a purpose so I think we need as a community come together and help our youth understand that your environment or your situation is not who you are there's something to learn from that to get you from that yeah and I speak basically because I do work in a, in a environment uh, as we would call it the hood or a rough crime, high crime drug area, uh, which I actually enjoy, though, um, it gives me an opportunity to, you know, interact most of the time with the individuals. But I think we as the older generation, to just make sure that they understand, you know, we were led by our grandparents and our parents who are older, you know, we have 17-year-olds whose mom is 34, you yeah. know, so you have kids raising kids where we, we had Grown adults raising kids who yeah. have lived a life and knew what life was and have made mistakes and bad choices and kept us from those choices. You have parents who are making the same choices that their 16 year is making because they're ain't, they're only thirty and their kid is sixteen. You know, and it's it's having the older generation not give up and still being able to instill value into our kids and yeah. opportunity and and I think that's. Uh, that's really big when it comes to changing the trajectory and changing the mindset of our youth is showing that we care and that we're not giving up on who they are because of what they've done. Oh, he got locked up because he sold drugs. Okay, well, you know, he was selling drugs because his mom was behind on three months of rent he was about to be evicted. You know, so I don't, just because I'm an officer, I don't always, there's certain times I just won't honor me, but there's certain things that you got to understand that a person does it. As an opportunity, possibly for something else. Did you know that he was in the store stealing steaks because he needed to sell them to get his mom $60 to keep the electric on? Yeah. You know, you never know. And so it's just continuing, like back in the day, loving on our youth and loving on our kids and showing them that we care and we value who they are and that because their bad mistake or choice led them into a situation doesn't mean that they can't be something else than what they have chosen to be. Right. And I think that, too, that you made a good point,
0: because I think a lot of the things that go on when we're talking about the youth and, and the things that they're having to deal with, you know, a lot of them, truly their parents have been drug addicts, behind bars, it's left them to be raised by a grandmother or hopefully our aunt or being put in the system. So there's some abandonment issues that will be sitting there because they don't know, you know, who they are. And you know that especially in foster care, that's the most craziest thing because sometimes foster parents get the children just for the money. Right. It's not even about really making sure that the, the child is receiving everything that they should have and getting the love um, because money is not love. But because people are taking that, that's their way of putting extra change in their pocket. You know, they would take on the responsibility but not do what they they should do concerning the child. Um, But the statement is, again, like you said, you know, here you have a 16, 17-year-old as a (laughs) teenager raising children. And then when their kids become that age, now they're doing the same stuff together. You know, so they've gone back and reverted to their childhood where they left off, and can't come out of that. You know, and then that's when kids be like, "You can't tell me nothing. (laughs) You you can't tell me nothing. You, you right here doing the same thing with me. So what are you gonna say to me?" So yeah, it is something that we have to look at, and um, definitely, um, we do. The community needs some help. Like I said, until we as people of color start saying Black Lives Matter in our community and stop victimizing each other. We cannot expect that there can be something done overnight um, when we're talking about racism and pro- police brutality, because once the reform comes, we still going to be doing what we're doing in the community. Sorry. The reform Sorry. will stop some things.
1: But it won't stop everything.
0: But it's not gonna stop everything.
1: And again, I wholeheartedly by my statement I made earlier. If you're not doing something illegal, the police won't have to deal with you. Like <laughs> so take over your own communities, police your own communities, mm-hmm. and allow our interactions when we come into your communities to be positive. Right. And that we're not coming there because someone has been shot. We're not coming there because we're getting calls that it's thirty people on the front street gambling or you know, they're out selling drugs out of an apartment. Let it be because we're having a community event. We have a DJ and we're dancing in the middle of the street together. we having right. fun and doing things that are gonna bring a positive light on that community. Um, you know, I just a quick blog, I just, we have a community in the neighborhood that I patrol. We go up there again all the time, don't hang out, don't hang out. About three weeks ago, five people got shot, one dead, one paralyzed, and three in critical condition. Wow. And the first thing that they say is, oh, y'all come around here the other time harassing us, but you don't come around here when they're shooting. Like we knew they were going to come around shooting. But instead of saying we're harassing you, the mindset should be, okay, you're giving me some good advice because you know that this neighborhood is having a disagreement. With this neighborhood, yeah. there's been a multitude of shootings in the last month. Spots. Yeah, you know, yeah. so we can't win for Because if we come out there with patrol, it's, oh, you're harassing. No, we're trying to keep you safe and tell you this is not a good place for you to be. You shouldn't be out here gambling, you shouldn't be sitting on the front stoop, you know, so we, we, as law enforcement, we have our hands tied as African Americans, we tend to get the, oh, you you know, you may have bossed around by the white man. Well, unfortunately, I don't have a white chief, you know, so, you know, so that statement goes on deaf ears, but that's their mindset, because that's, again, what they are locked into, is that we as black people, we work for the white man, you know. crazy stuff to me, because why, why, do, why do people think, but again, enslaved, you're enslaved if you entirely. enslaved in your mind,
0: then you think everybody else is enslaved, because and that
1: you, is not the truth. Right, because you feel enslaved because you don't take the time and the energy to exert and growing mentally and emotionally and physically to a place that takes you out of what you're comfortable in, yeah. stepping outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, you
0: have to, you got to step up, you got to step up for yourself, it's, you know, i, I I always talk, there's a thing that I talk about sometimes when I have a group and I tell them, um, you know, close your eyes and when you close your eyes, I want you to imagine you're on the beach and there's water and family members, people hanging out. But then you just see a drift a little far off, there's somebody that's on a raft or whatever and they drifted away from you. But who's gonna go get the person? they're asleep, everybody's yelling, somebody's trying to get their attention, and nothing happens, and finally, the person wakes up, and realizes that they've drifted away from everyone, and they turn around, and they're looking, and they can see all the people back off on the beach, and wherever they are, and you finally look up, and look out, and look at the person, and that person's you, who's going to save you? Are you gonna go out there and get yourself or are you just waiting on everybody else to go Everybody's save you? And that's what we have to do in our community. Right. We can't make it somebody else's problem to save us. Right. We gotta be willing to save ourselves. ourselves.
1: That's right.
0: right. And right. that's right. How, right. how we that's how we get our community back. Right. That's how you start realizing black lives matter when you decide that you're gonna do what you need to do for you, which will eventually trickle down. If we all are doing and walking in the same direction. Well, nephew, this has been a good
2: conversation.
0: Yes, it has. I am (laughs) grateful that you came to join me today and let us have this this dialogue about the communications of, um, you know, the social injustice that's going on right now, and you know what police are, you know, cops are going through, and you know having partners um, in the law enforcement that are of Caucasian. You know, and you being of a, a man of color and how all that has played out and just, you know, how you're looking at things. Um, like I said, I'll be praying that, you know, God bless you where opportunities will come along for you to have a program to mentor, you know, um the young African American men um in the communities because they need to see that. Right. They need to see that that it's not just about being a cop, but what you can get out of it and help them change their ideology as to what a man looks like. You know, sure. dad may have walked away, but God puts a whole bunch of other men on this earth that you can grab something and take a look a bit, some nuggets sure. in order to change your life. Sure. So thank you for joining me thank today you on Her Perspective of a True Man, Real Talk with Real Man. And I can't wait, we'll have to do this again. Yes ma'am. I am out, this is Cotton. Okay.